What do World War II, Peter Drucker, and a school principal have in common? If you said management, you'd be right. Hey, it's Matt, and you're listening to the Math Faust Mashup. Hello, I'm Matt Foster, your host, and welcome to today's episode of the Math Faust Mashup. I'm so thankful and deeply humble that you've chosen to spend this time with me today as we talk about a brief history of management. It's my objective today to leave you with a handful of questions unanswered. Let's jump right into it. There's nothing fun about World War II. However, there are many things that are instructive. Let's talk about management in the 1930s and 40s. The United States alone produced over 100,000 tanks, over 2.3 million vehicles during World War II, over a quarter million artillery, 100,000 mortars, 2.6 million machine guns, and managed a personnel roster of over 10 million workers. And that doesn't even include the Navy, Air Force, and cargo developments. The combination of financial, human, natural, and industrial resources during World War II left the United States poised for one of the greatest industrial booms in the decades following World War II. It also left the United States with a wealth of management knowledge on how to maximize productivity and organizational effectiveness. Enter the 1940s and 50s. By the time the war was over, the United States had a workforce and industrial complex that was ready to unleash itself on the mid-century boom of consumerism. Appliances, cars, televisions, radios, consumer goods flourished under the new management styles from the military, industrial, complex. The concepts that fueled economic growth in the 1940s and 50s were founded back in the early 1900s and even late 1800s industrial management scenarios. Workers were viewed as labor and specialized in discrete skill sets. Organizations were structured to maximize skill, labor, and time. It was the common practice to have the manager's office overlooking the factory floor. Protocols, norms, standards all guided the practice of workers everywhere. There is a product to produce, and it's discrete production line was broken down into smaller and smaller tasks. Laborers were trained on those discrete tasks, assembled them all together, and ultimately formed the end result. No, we're not talking about 
standardized education here, though it might sound similar. We're talking about late 1800s industrialization, the invention of the factory line that fueled the growth in post-World War II America. But management theory didn't always stick around in the industrial mode. To find out how it changed in the latter half of the 20th century, let's rewind back to 1909 Vienna. A boy of Jewish descent was born in a small Protestant family in a Vienna village. His name was Peter. He lived through World War I and was fortunate to eat dinner in a household of frequent guests that included many high-powered intellectuals, high government officials, and businessmen and women. Maybe it was these conversations that spurred Peter's thinking as he grew older. He found work opportunities in post-World War I Germany, yet with the outbreak of World War II, young Peter moved to Britain. The end of the war, he again moved and became a naturalized citizen of the United States. He was professor in multiple universities and helped establish the first graduate MBA programs in the 1950s. Peter Drucker has written the world's best-selling business management books of all time. His influence on management theory reaches even in today. Peter was a professor and a writer and a consultant in a time when people were still using the industrial model of management. And he proposed the revolutionary idea that instead of managing protocols, we should more look to inspiring people with goals and objectives. Measurable objectives could help organizations improve their effectiveness. Of course, his lasting influence on how we manage organization is seen anytime someone speaks to the importance of relationships and inspiring people in their organizations. Before Peter Drucker, speaking about relationships in the workforce might have earned you laughter. But since then, it's become commonplace that we acknowledge relationships form the basis of effectiveness. It's become so commonplace that we talk about leadership almost 400% more than we talk about management in schools. We use the term leadership to describe many intangible qualities of human interactions. Since Peter Drucker, innumerable books, seminars, conferences, a whole industry has been built around leadership. That is leading people, leading their minds, their hearts, their ambitions and their passions and their work. If there was a continuum Leadership would be on the exact opposite end compared to the industrial factory line model of management. The contrast in today's zeitgeist has become so strong 
that many perceive the word management as if it were foul language. Today's episode is brought to you by Principal Tribe. Principal Tribe is the place where principals connect, connect to the latest trends in education, connect to each other. At Principal Tribe, we publish, create, and support principals to make better schools. To get started, visit principaltribe.org. Before we look into today's role of the school principal, let's contrast the factory line style of management to mid-century objective leadership style proposed by Peter Drucker. In the post-war management style, there's a very clear flow of direction and communication. It was inherited from the chain of command concept and the military industrial complex. There's a manager who's in charge of you, the worker, and the tasks you had to complete. If you have a question about a task, you spoke to your manager. If you need help, you speak to your manager. If you need a pay raise, of course, you go to the manager. If your manager couldn't solve a problem or answer the question, then he would go to his manager and she would provide the answer. The hierarchy was clear and it was vertical. Fast forward to the late 20th century after Peter Drucker and the lines become a little blurry. Workflow didn't always go through management. Often the person responsible for your employment doesn't even really know about your daily tasks. You need help with a certain question. You have to go to someone like a support person. If you need help with your paycheck or a pay raise, you go seek out another department. Rarely do you ever need to go directly to your manager. It's almost as if the manager deals mostly with other managers where the employees deal with the work of the front line. This organizational layout really describes many public schools today. So let's fast forward to the early 2000s. In the early 2000s, we really saw the advent of the PLC concept. It was even trademarked PLCs at work. Series of books were published, conferences around the concept of PLCs. And of course, I'm sure you've read the books, heard the books, or attended the trainings by the publishers of these management books. The funny thing is you'll never hear them term themselves as school management books. Even though they do completely deal with the management of a school. One of the concepts in the PLCs at work ecosystem is the concept of results orientation. The idea that a school leader should lead her school with objectives and teams should work towards getting results to fulfill those objectives. 
adopts the concept that's completely from Peter Drucker's work. It's mid-century. We use it and we give kids tests, common assessments, and gather data towards these objectives. And often in these books and other popular school leadership books of today, you will rarely find the word management. So maybe a quote from Peter Drucker himself would help provide some insight. In modern society, there is no other leadership group but managers. If the managers of our major institutions, and especially of business, do not take responsibility for the common good, no one else can or will. This is a quote that really resonates with much of the trends we see in leadership today in schools, taking care of your people. But often, we find this idea pushed aside by those who strictly adhere to the phrase, what's best for kids. It's as if in business, we would say the customer is the only one who matters. Well, that cannot be the case. It cannot be the case that the customer is the only one who matters. Because before we serve the customer, we have to serve the people within our organization. Let's ask some questions. Are you a manager or are you a leader? There's probably not a simple yes or no, more importantly, do you feel a specific connotation at play in those questions? If so, that connotation might just be a clue there's a blind spot at play. Let's examine that a bit. When you meet with a team to have what PLCs call a results orientation and discuss the recent results, the passing rates on last week's common assessment. Are you leading or are you managing? When teachers across countless schools spent undue amounts of time during the back to school season over copy machines that weren't working, materials that couldn't be found, Textbooks, resources that were being cut, messages and meetings that didn't have impact and schedules that weren't ready. <laughs> Was that management or leadership? When you give a great deal of concern to both relationships and tasks, yet when the re situation requires an emphasis on only one or the other, is that management or leadership? Is management a subset of leadership or is it the other way around? I wonder what you think. I don't claim to have the answer. I'm merely connecting dots and wondering if the trend toward 
eschewing the term management is leaving behind some concepts of value. Is it possible that the negative connotation that education has towards management, is it possible that that obfuscates our expectations of the principal's role? Thanks again for listening to today's episode of the Mafost Mashup. We're digging deeper in this episode on the concept of management, and I hope you enjoyed some of the reflections and questions. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your ideas. You can leave me a message at mafost.com slash pod, M-A-F-O-S-T dot com slash P-O-D. If you enjoyed today's episode, I only ask one thing. Please pass it along. Now let's go out there and make an impact.